depends what you're eating, to be honest, man. If, it, if it's uh, going to look eating, funny. <laughs> eating chili. Chili. It's got loads of onions, loads of meat in there. Just good stuff. Jesus Christ, <laughs> it sounds scarier than The Exorcist. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another edition, a very spooky edition of Films on Trial. I'm Gav. I'm Alex. I'm Joel. I'm Dave. And I'm Austin. And I should firstly apologise here because this episode should have been released on Halloween, but I got COVID and then we were asked to do an episode for the Liverpool Film Festival and then we all went on holiday. But don't worry. We will still be doing Halloween Horror Month, sort of, even though it's a little bit later than planned. Um, or I should say, don't worry, we'll still be doing Halloween Horror Month. <laughs> even if it is a little later than planned. As we put The Exorcist on trial. Is it Mr. Motivator or is it Mr. Magoo? <laughs> uh, essentially... <laughs> We'll work it out, guys. Come on. Essentially, will this film be placed on our esteemed hit list or our steaming shit list? Now, this will be an interesting one, I think, because this is a film that is often heralded as the greatest horror movie of all time. But we have somebody on both the defense and the prosecution who had never seen it before. They, they watched it for this trial. And then we have two other people who haven't seen it for a number of years. So I'm really interested to see if it still holds up. Is it overrated? Let's find out. But before we do, let's talk about our last trial, which was Hocus Pocus 2. Now, Joel judged that trial and deemed that it should be placed on the shit list. Now, Joel has since gone away and watched it, unfortunately. Joel, did you make the right call? Yes or no? Uh, yeah, I did, unfortunately. I think it's probably <laughs> painful for us to hear, but um, yeah, I didn't like it like at all. I think all of the magic of the original, I think I said like when I was judging it, like the, the original was like that perfect level of spookiness for me as a child, like growing up where it was like, you know, yeah, there's kind of horror elements that can act as a gateway to adult horror, whereas this one was just, I found like, you know, just nonsensical in the end and it very much did feel like they were setting up for a sequel as well. And I think there's just a lot of kind of uh, negativity around like Hollywood at the moment in terms of just churning out prequels or sequels or remakes and that type of thing. And I don't think doing this one helped. So, yeah, I, I personally think I made the right decision. Okay, thanks, Joel. And what did you think about the riveting subplot about the mayor trying to buy a candy apple? Probably more interesting than the, than the actual main plot, to be honest with you, so. <laughs> Okay, thank you very much, Joel. Okay, now, uh, similar to last week, I'm going to try my best to write an awful Halloween theme joke here, uh, which, once again, I only wrote about an hour ago. So let me know what you think. What did the personal trainer do to the poltergeist haunting their gym? They exercised it. Oh, that's better. I was, gonna, I was about to say something <laughs> maybe not Uh, yeah thank you thank you i'm here all week by the way guys but i think that was a a marked improvement from last week to be fair but i I must say it is very hard to write these horrible like awful dad jokes anyway 
Now onto the trial itself. All of the roles have been picked out of the hat at random. So acting as defense and trying to get this film placed on their hit list is me. And I'm just like Max von Sydow's character, Father Merrin. Multiple health problems. And although I look like I'm in my 70s, I'm somehow only in my 30s. <laughs> and joining me is Ozzy. And he is nothing, I repeat, nothing like Lee J. Cobb's character, Lieutenant William Kinderman, as in a likable man with a normal sense of fashion who rarely gets angry and is an avid fan of cinema. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to come up with something for you, Ozzy, you know, it's like the only one left was Lieutenant, Car uh, Lieutenant Kinderman. And I was like, he's literally the opposite of Ozzy. <laughs> Everybody likes him. <laughs> And acting and as prosecution and trying to get this film placed on the shit list is Alex. And Alex is just like Linda Blair's character, Regan. When school is over, he rarely leaves his bed. Yeah. <laughs> and joining Alex is Joel, who is just like Linda Blair's character, Pazuzu. He's <laughs> sorry. He says something... <laughs> the demon. <laughs> That's the oh, name he's... of the demon. Is it actually called Pazuzu? Yeah, yeah, yeah. P Pazuzu. Pazuzu, I think it's pronounced. Oh, sorry. Pazuzu. Pazuzu, yeah. Pazuzu sounds like a, like a cat's name. Or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Joel says some pretty fucking awful things that would make even the devil blush. <laughs> <laughs> now, just like real court advocates, the defense and prosecution will be making the best case for their roles. These may or may not be their real opinions, however, so do stay tuned until the end of the episode to hear their genuine thoughts. And in the role of judge who has to decide which list this film should be placed on, hit or shit, based solely on the arguments put to him, is Dave. And Dave is just like Jason Miller's character, Father Karras, a moral and honest man who is not very good at getting up and down the stairs without injuring himself. Yes, yes that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, before we get started, I think that we should probably give the audience a bit of a better understanding as to what this film is all about. So why don't, well, I was going to say spin the wheel of impressions, but I know exactly who's going to do the, <laughs> the impression this week. So I'll just spin the wheel of Halloween sound effects. And yeah, it's landed on Alex. <laughs> Any ideas? Pazuzu. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that's the only one, isn't it? All right. I mean, or, or you do a pretty fun Max one side of you. Well, yeah, I, I, well, I have been practicing, but that's what I was thinking. That's what I was I'll thinking. I was thinking the, uh... Alex has been practicing Max von Sydow, to be honest. So I thought it could be the perfect opportunity here for him to test out that impression. I would like to. Can I do a bit of both? Can I go Max von Sydow sliding seamlessly into Pazooey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right. Okay. When a teenage girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, her mother seeks the help of two priests to save her daughter. <laughs> Seamless? Brilliant. Seamless. Seamless. Did, you, did you notice when I moved from one to the other, or was that... <laughs> Only because you told us you were going to transition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> do you know? Otherwise, like, a little bit like that time when you woke up after about twenty beers, and that was <laughs> quite to your voice then. And before I went to sleep, I think, I think it sounded a little. You know, it, it's it's a shame that this is just a podcast and people couldn't see that because the physical transformation there as well was pretty <laughs> impressive to see. Uh, now, thank you very much for that, Alex. Uh, so, Dave, would you like to please kick off proceedings? Thank you very much. 
Yeah, no problem. Uh, so, okay, so The Exorcist, regarded as one of the best horror films of all time, depending on who you listen to. Some people would say it is it is the best horror film of all time. I have seen it. It's been a few years, though. So, you know, I could be persuaded either way. You know, my opinion on the film stays at the door. you got to try and persuade me. Is this a good film? Is this a bad film? I'm going to start with Gav. Thank you very much. Well, it is a good film. It's the best film. Okay. <laughs> Austin. <laughs> No, no, I just, wholeheartedly with Gav. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ozzy. Just, just to give a very, very brief sum- summary of the film to refresh your memory, Dave. The story centers on single mother and movie star Chris McNeil, played by Ellen Bernstein, whose daughter Regan, played by Linda Blair, is an adorable and personable 12-year-old who suddenly grows hostile and incredibly foul-mouthed. Basically, she turns into a bit of a Joel. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. If anybody was foul-mouthed at 12, it was you. <laughs> <laughs> I was just foul-minded. Now, uh, Chris takes her daughter to a number of doctors for tests, but after the director of Chris's latest movie dies after taking a tumble from Regan's window and Regan turns into a profanity-spewing monster, it becomes clear to Chris that she needs further help. Convinced that Regan is possessed by demons, she turns to local priest father Damien Karras, played by Jason Miller, who is struggling with a crisis of faith himself. After seeing Regan perform some truly horrifying things, including head-spinning, crucifix abuse, and luminous green vomiting, Karras calls in the help of experienced exorcist father Merrin, played by Mox Van Seidel, incredibly imitated by Alex earlier on. Now, the rest of the movie is a spiritual, psychological, and physical battle between the forces of good and evil, which sees Father Merrin lose his life, but Father Karras win the war and also restore his faith in the church as the evil is expelled and Father Karras makes the ultimate sacrifice. Now, the director, William Friedkin, and writer, William Peter Blatty, worked absolutely perfectly together to ensure that every aspect of the production of this film was on another level. The direction, the script, the cinematography, the special effects, the music, the acting, it is all of an incredibly high gold standard. The film was a box office smash, becoming one of the biggest grossest horror films in history, and it was also an absolute landmark becoming the first ever horror film to be nominated for Best Film at the Academy Awards, receiving nine other nominations for which it won two on top of four Golden Globe wins as well. It became not just a benchmark, but also the gold standard for possession movies, and it has never been reached since. But on top of that, this is a cultural masterpiece. More than 30 years later, The Exorcist is still being heralded as the greatest horror movie of all time, but it is not just the greatest horror movie of all time. It is also one of the greatest films ever made. And any other opinion is not just wrong, (laughs) but is frankly bullshit. Frankly, bullshit. Okay, that's uh, that is written down. Put me in, <laughs> like, coach. <laughs> it's a very compelling case that Gav has made there. Um, yeah, one of the greatest films of all time. Forget horror for a moment. Of all time, Alex. What's your take on that? Well, I'm actually one of those, when Gav was saying about one of the, you know, two people who had never watched it before. Well, I'm one of those people. I've, I've never seen The Exorcist ever. And you know, I frankly was just a little bit disappointed. Like, you know, I, I know it's meant to be one of the greatest horror films of all time. Maybe when you watch this back in the 19, is it 1973? Mm-hmm. If you watched it then, then you think this was absolutely amazing. But if I'm honest, I was bored. 
And you shouldn't be bored during any film, but especially during a horror film. You know, Gav was talking about an epic battle between good and evil. And like, you know, Merrin dies and then Father Karras makes the ultimate sacrifice. That happens in the last 20 minutes. And like the, the death of Merrin happens seconds before Father Karras makes the ultimate sacrifice. So the actual exorcism by the exorcist is actually a very minor part of this film. And there's an awful lot. I mean, it's it's an hour and 55 minutes, I think. It's coming up to two hours. And there's just a lot of padding in this film. And I don't know why. I mean, if it was an hour and a half, I think it would be fantastic. But there's an awful lot of... Um, I mean, for two hours, we know there's going to be an exorcism. It's called The Exorcist, right? But like I say, there's just... You know, you're building up to something that you know is going to happen. And then because it's just crammed in at the end, it's a little disappointing. There are so many tangents that this film just sort of wanders off on. We, we see the first part of the film is Max von Sydow, who's playing Merrin, just wandering around Iraq. And I'm not saying it's absolutely, you know, diabolically terrible, but after a while you're like, okay, I get it. He's, you know, he's tired or something. You know, I, you know, let's, let's keep going. You know, it just feels like it's a little bit self-indulgent at times. There's Karis's mum who dies and then... You know, I don't know, that that sort of comes back into the story later, but there's an awful lot of time spent on that. Like, like too much time is spent on that. Then after that, there's got Karis's lack of faith, which doesn't really go anywhere, if I'm honest. I don't really feel like that. It did come back into the film a bit, but it, it was kind of like a big part of the film that then later on just didn't seem to really match up. Um, you know, for, for ages, I thought Karis was an exorcist. And then when he's talking to the mum later, he sort of, says, oh, I'm not actually, I don't believe in exorcism. So I, I found it a little confusing and I, I just was unsure about why I was spending so much time with him. I mean, I love Lee J. Cobb, Dave, and I know this is going to be a hard one to sell to you, but I don't know why he's in it. I don't know plot-wise <laughs> why he's in it. I, just, I have no he's idea. He's in it because he's Lee J. Cobb. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> and, and I know that was always going to be a tricky one. It, it, it's nice to have Lee J. Cobb in a film, don't get me wrong. And if he was the only tangent, then fine, you could, you could do it, but... I really don't know what his role is. I don't know what he adds or brings to the film at all, to be honest. Uh, there's just about three scenes which definitely could should have been on the cutting room floor. And there's this whole bit as well where we're not sure whether she's possessed and she's being taken to the doctors. Again, these are all important things to do. I, I'm not saying that the film is doing the wrong thing by doing them. It's just taking an awful lot of time to do something that the audience is completely aware of. We know it's an exercise. We know it's a... A possession because you know she's her eyes are green and she's like vomiting green things and at one point you know the mum is chased by a wardrobe around the room it's like telekinetically chasing her around and then she's having to convince people well i don't i'm not sure if it's you know i'm not sure if it is psychiatric you know psychiatric or something it's like of course you know it's not psychiatric you've just been chased by a wardrobe you know you know that this is it's exorcism time you know so yeah i you know if it was shorter, it would be exactly what Gav was saying, but the tangents are too much and it just keeps running down these things and, it's, and, it, and it keeps backing away from its main thing, which is an exorcism. Okay, thank you very much. I see your hands raised, Gav. You've got a couple of quick points you want to make? Yeah, I'd say so. the reason that Lee Cobb's in the film is he, is, he plays a detective who was initially looking at the death of the director who died after he leapt out of Regan's bedroom window. And the thing is, is that he is there as the skeptic. He initially is the one that is like, you know, 
exorcist, you know, d- demon possession is complete bullshit. But then he actually is the one that suggests that Regan's mother speaks to the church because he has such a change of mind and thought and belief because he's like, oh, actually, <laughs> I might be wrong here. And there's also, I'll go into a little bit of detail about this later on, but there's also almost like a detective noir aspect weaved into this film, which he's pivotal for. And it really brings the film down and grounds it in a sense of realism. And his character is pivotal in doing that. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, I want to come back to the defense. And that's Austin, that's yourself, uh, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What's your take on all this? So I actually think, I mean, Gav, Gav sort of hit the nail on the head about why the the um, detectives in the film here. But some of the other bits that uh, Alex said there are a little bit untrue as well. He's sort of suggesting that, you know, why why does she spend so long trying to convince herself that it's mysticism or other people? It's actually to you know when you're around skeptics and they say it in the film is that an exorcism is. You know, it's outdated. He's a Karis is a, psych, a psychologist, a psychic psychiatrist within the church, and he said that medicine's moved on. Exorcism isn't a thing. We've not done that since the 16th century, and it's one of his like his main quotes is, you know, we don't do that anymore. Um, I think it's a mental thing. It's that him, the the church, suggesting you need to go to medicine, and then it comes full circle. You know, that then he ends to get back and involved, and he gets uh, he, he gets somebody more senior to come in and help him. So I think it does a pretty good job of setting up the story. You know, it, it's very clever. It's clever in terms of you think about it, it's 30 years old and it, it really pushing the boundaries of any other film of, of, of its genre at the time. You know, the, the special effects, when you consider the age of them, are fucking incredible, really, you know, and they're really genuinely shocking. So I, I think Alex did it a little bit of a disservice there to say that there's some it takes its time getting to the exorcism. The exorcism is a large part of the film, but it does have to set it up. And, it, and in, in this regard, that's what they've done here. They've tried to set up a story and a scene so that you do actually, you understand who these people are. Um, and I think it's, it's, a real, it's a real clever bit of storytelling. Okay, thank you very much. And Joel, finally yourself, what side do you come down on this? Yeah, I think it's the same old story, really. Like... I've said it many times in kind of uh, prosecutions in the past. We can't really erase like the last, you know, 30, 40 years or whatever. When you watch this now, it's it's completely different. Um, I think one of the biggest things is that obviously it, it's an exorcist and the church claims that they've never seen this type of thing before. But like it, it's a girl who's like spinning around. Her, her neck is spinning around. She's like vomiting all over the place. There's a bit where she like obviously gets a crucifix and like starts let's just say desecrating it uh by putting it up herself like i just think they went to like <laughs> sorry i just i, I thought, I thought, I thought, so I thought you've done a really good job of saying it like <laughs> she let's just say she desecrated it by putting it up <laughs> needed to elaborate on the point alex for god's sake sorry um, but yeah i just, I just feel, feel like it was a little bit like nonsensical and I think at the time it was probably really shocking, you know, in this in the 70s, I'm sure it was like extremely shocking. But for somebody like Alex who saw it today, you've probably seen that thing many, many times before now. <laughs> probably <laughs> probably uh, on a daily uh, basis. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, so, I've seen some. I've seen some stuff. <laughs> I was watching something similar just this yeah, afternoon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
but but it's probably you know been done better and you could say well uh, it, it's like a, a trailblazer and that type of thing which maybe it was but i think it's just kind of heralded as a classic just because it was the first type of film of its kind uh whereas if you really kind of step back and look at it especially in today's standards even in terms of the plot um like alex said it can be quite slow at times and i think one of the the biggest things that i'd heard about it before i watched it was how scary it was and it's it's not scary it's not scary like at all i would say it's more unsettling or unnerving if it's going for scares and especially jump scares and things like that it, it's miles away from the mark like i can't even imagine you know unless you're a 10 year old like gab was probably watching this i don't think it's it's going to scare an adult as i say i think it's, it's more unnerving so i think it's one of those films where there's so much written about it it's got such a legendary status that it the bar's almost set too high so for anybody watching it now it's just going to be expected to be like blown away and i feel like that's not going to happen anymore um you know maybe if you grew up with the film you can hold it on that pedestal but for people of today watching it it's, it's just not going to hit the mark anymore okay thank you very much so yeah i've heard a, a few basic points about the film and it's, its reputation as well which does precede it uh and also the fact that, you know this was in the 1970s a lot has changed in the in the scope of horror since then but has anyone got any other points that they would like to raise about this in general uh, anything about the script maybe or the general production values or the special effects anything along these lines starting with you tell you it doesn't have, have anything to say well, that's Matt what i'm hoping Gav. everyone does he's lying to you dave he's trying to throw you off <laughs> so i'm going to come to you first gav yeah, thank you very much, Dave. Well, I've heard some proper bullshit on this podcast too, before. But fucking hell. The, the stuff that Joel spouting is unbelievable. <laughs> and I'm joking. Like the, the, I will say this film, you may already know, Dave, well, I say may, you know everything, so you already do know that this film is based on the best-selling novel by William Peter Blatty. Dave, you're so handsome and knowledgeable <laughs> that you already know this. But when it came to the direction of the film, Blatty apparently ever, ever oh, sorry, Blatty only ever had one name in mind, William Friedkin. And when it came to production, Blatty wrote the script and was also heavily involved in the whole production of the film. The film could have easily been as successful or popular if it was made by an out-and-out -out horror director as an out-and-out -out horror. But the contrasting yet meshing approaches of Blatty and Friedkin created a perfect mix of creative forces, resulting in a film that was more of like a spiritual mystery than it was a horror film. Blatty was a devout Christian who maintained the supernatural and spiritual elements of the novel in his screenplay, but Friedkin was an agnostic from a Jewish upbringing who decided to add a detective noir theme throughout that treats the horror like a tangible threat akin to something like a slasher horror thriller. By doing this, and also avoiding certain familiar horror tropes like jump scares, it adds a gritty realism to the film, which audiences and critics responded incredibly well to. Now, I still think that the film is quite shocking to watch now. I disagree with what Joel says. I know that again, when you watch this, you hear that it's the greatest horror film of all time, so you expect to be scared, but there's more to horror than just being scared shitless. And one of the aspects on display here is just how shocking and visceral it was and how that shocking and visceral the 
and traumatic the possession was as well, made even more shocking due to the nature of the victim, a sweet young girl. Now, this is something that hadn't really been explored in such detail before in a mainstream movie, and it's still something that is a bit of a taboo to this day, it's something we don't really see in mainstream horror films. There's so many other fantastic elements of this film. As I mentioned before, the score is absolutely haunting throughout, but the main theme of Tubular Bells has transcended the film and become its own massive thing. And one of the big things I wanted to argue about that Alex and Joel raised before is the pacing. I think this film is paced incredibly well. You don't want to be like straight out the gate, exorcism like takes up an hour of the film because you're gonna get bored. What this film does very well is it builds, it has this slow burn opening where it doesn't really reveal too much of what's going on. We start off with the archeological dig and we don't really know much about the demon. We don't really know much about what's going on and it builds and builds and builds from there. The next up we have this dinner party scene where the terror starts seeping through. Regan starts acting very unnatural. She's more foul mouthed. Then there's the death of the director. Then Are we're having- describing the film or our dinner with Bruce Lee the other day? <laughs> <laughs> But and then we have like her being seen by a number of medical professionals uh, who she's being prodded and poked and they're trying to figure out what's going on with her. And we don't really know ourselves if she has been possessed. And then it starts building and building before she fully turns into this vomit spewing, head spinning, walking down the stairs upside down and back to front like a demon tarantula, fully possessed demon girl. And it was something that was incredibly new and shocking and it still holds up to this day. You know, some of the, the demon's dialogue may be a bit funny now. Uh, you know, Alex and Joel said that, you know, some of it doesn't look as scary or it's not as scary when you're looking at it from, you know, 2022's viewpoint. But I you can't deny it's exactly what it was intended to be. Shocking and graphic. That exorcism scene, it builds up to it throughout the film. I'd also argue that we have, like, elements of the plot that Alex mentioned before, like Karras's mum, that's pivotal because that helps with regards to his crisis of faith. He thinks that if he went into the into psychology like he was originally going to do before he joined the church, that she wouldn't have been so sick. He would have been able to help her and that she wouldn't have died. And he basically blames himself moving into the faith and being unable to see it and being unable to be by her side for her death. So that is a really, really good element. And it's also an element that the demon Batsutsu picks up on and and basically taunts Karis throughout the entire exorcism as a way to grind him down. You know, he keeps on referring to his mother. So that really is a pivotal part in the battle of good versus evil as well. You know, it's just incredibly well written. It's incredibly well paced. And it is ultimately still one of the most shocking, graphic and visceral films of all time. Okay, uh, I'd like to come to Joel now, please. I know Viscera isn't necessarily something you, you're a big fan of in horror films, especially when it's a bit overdone. What's, what's your take on this? Um, it's a quite a shocking film from what Gav said. That's, that means a lot coming from Gav. What's your yeah, take like, on this? I mean, that, that was probably going to be one of my main points as well, and I'm sure kind of Alex will, will echo some of my thoughts in that. It's just kind of cheap tricks, and and that's how it comes across. Like you mentioned, I'm not a fan of visceral kind of graphic horror, and, and that's true. But I like it in the right kind of situations. Uh, so, you know, a, a film that I always bring up with Gav is things like Bone Tomahawk, where there's just a really kind of gruesome scene, and that for me is just a cheap trick. It's there just to kind of shock the audience. There's absolutely no 
kind of real value other than showing like maybe how you know kind of archaic or whatever these people are but you could do that in other ways just as easily and i feel like that happens in this exorcism film like i feel like it would be a lot scarier and um more shocking if like the girl didn't start exhibiting all these kind of powers that would kill somebody if that makes sense so like a neck twist around like i, I get that she's possessed but it kind of takes away from the kind of realism element when she's kind of you know levitating and her neck spins around and she's vomiting and she's you know desecrating crucifixes and all that type of thing i just feel like it's it's a really kind of cheek cheap sorry uh shock horror rather than actually shocking um and i know at the time it probably was a lot more shocking but it's just not anymore um and i think you can tell like when kind of cheaper things have been used in in horror films and this for me was definitely one of those where it would have been scarier if they made it more realistic and i don't mean in terms of effects or anything like that i just mean in terms of, of the content okay thank you very much um austin i massively disagree i think that like i'd never seen it um you know so i'd obviously heard about the head spinning around i've seen the the you know the parodies i've seen the simpsons episodes you know the vomit the crucifix masturbation scene not in the simpsons but what <laughs> episode that might have been you know I, i'd heard of all these things i knew they were coming but i don't think I'm, you're not ready for it and i think that's testament to how well it is directed and how well it is put together because you don't you're not you're not ready for it. You know, is it? I don't think it's lost the power to to give that shock. I you know, and I think that's. For, also, you're out your pants. You know, I I honestly don't think that you can be prepared. I think it really does set you up. You know, it's coming. You know, and you know, having seen other horror films and aware of where it's come from, you can see all of the things that people have been influenced by but that still doesn't take you away from it. It's a very creepy, well set up film. You know, there's the, like I've said with Tubular Bells, you know, the music and the, that, that first, you know, that first setup where you're learning about all the different characters that really does leave you with this weird sense of foreboding. You know, it's not, um, I don't know, you get into this little weird place at each scene. You're like, okay, I'm okay with that. I understand what's going on. And then there's another scene, which is super creepy. Like when he gets the coin, and suddenly he's really at the very start, you know, the, you're like, what the fuck? That's got to mean something. And then it moves on to the next piece. And then suddenly you're in a sense of safe place again when you meet up with um, with the actress and it, you're moving on. And at each point where you're feeling quite secure, suddenly it's like, fucking hell, I'm creeped out again here until we get to like the exorcist scene when it all gets there. And I, I honestly don't think you um, you get prepared for it. I just think it's really well directed. It's it's not like the special effects were fantastic at the time. They're still pretty good for now. I, I think it's the actual characters are quite believable. But within the head spinning, you know, I think everyone's very believable in fact. And I think it does bring you along nicely. It's the guys are doing it a disservice. Okay, thank you very much. Uh Gavi got a quick point to make. Yeah, just the point about it being too shocking and un unbelievable. You know, at the end of the day, this is an exorcism film and it was designed to do that to shockers. If it were to have a really tame exorcism with more believable elements, then it wouldn't have been as shocking or as, as fantastic. But 
seeing her neck spin all the way around or levitating off the bed is something that audiences at the time wouldn't have seen and would have been genuinely shocking for them. Now it's been done countless times by many, many imitators. So maybe it doesn't look as good because we've seen it repeated thousands of times. But at the time, we got to think about it and it was absolutely brilliant and, and designed to be what it was supposed to be, which was shocking. Okay, thank you. Uh, and finally, Alex. Well, I'm going to disagree with, I think, almost everyone there. And say that, uh, <laughs> Even Joel as well. Yeah, Joel as well, a little bit. Yeah, sorry, Joel. Uh, I wasn't actually shocked. I was expecting to be two things, because in horror, you normally have the sort of the creeping tension and the scares, or you have the shock. And, you know, I'd heard about the things that have happened, but that's not my main feeling come away from the exorcist. The, more, the main feeling I had was grossed out. You know, like, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel shocked by these things, perhaps because I've heard about these scenes, you know, just through talking to people, but I just didn't feel shocked by them. I, I just thought it was a bit, like, there's a bit when the exorcist scene happens and, like, she just spits mucus into Merrin's face. And that's not like, oh, my goodness, that's just, oh, uh, do you know what I mean? That's like gunge or something like that from, like, you know, from some 90s kids. Yeah, from Get Your Own Back, basically, you know, it. That's what it felt like. Yeah, she does literally gunge Karis at one point and she gets like vomit <laughs> in his face. And that's, I did, I went to, I went to get your own back and, you know, and, and all of that. It didn't feel like, I, I wasn't shocked. I just thought, oh, that's, that's not very nice. Same with some of the stuff she says, you know, she says some horrendous stuff, but it more just makes you, it's more just unpleasant than, you know, than absolutely, oh my God, you know, completely shocking, you know, and, and this is the thing you can't, I don't feel like you can have a, a spiritual mystery and you know like a, a detective noir and there is foreboding you know gavin ozzy aren't completely you know uh, blowing smoke up here dave you know there is you know the direction is good in places and there is foreboding in it but i'd say that foreboding is different to tension and i don't feel like there's a lot of tension in the exorcist because it's broken when a head starts spinning around and she starts putting a cross up her and she starts puking and sicking on everyone i feel that breaks the tension a little bit and you're more just like well that's 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 not very nice rather than oh my goodness what is going on you know that that isn't i didn't come away shocked and i didn't come away scared i just came away feeling a bit ill <laughs> okay thank you very much uh austin you had a, a small point to raise there saying i i did i mean my point sort of passed but i'm going to throw it out there anyway i think the reason alex is um you know i'm worried that this is the case as well but the reason alex wasn't <laughs> shocked and felt like it wasn't horrendous it was merely unpleasant so he works in the uk school system um, <laughs> oh my god cut 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 all of that cut <laughs> i have not seen things like the exorcist oh my god. Oh in my god. decade of teaching that has not that has not happened to be clear Face is a fair point, though, doesn't it? To be fair, I have, I have, I have had, I have had children sneeze in my face a lot. To be fair, <laughs> and puke on me. So, yeah. in a way, in a way, I can, I can sort of see what Aussie means. There we go. Okay, I'll leave that up Sorry. to the editor when that stays in. <laughs> uh, okay, so I think I've heard most of the key points about the film. Has anyone got anything they'd like to add, or should we move on to a quiz? Gav, I'm, I'll try and keep it very, very brief. But one thing that we haven't touched Always upon, one. <laughs> well, one thing that we haven't touched upon, but I think is 
one of the best aspects of the film is the performances. Mm-hmm. You, they, they are absolutely fantastic. I'll gloss over Ellen Bernstein as, as Chris, who gives this a tremendous tour de force, a full-on range of, of roller coaster of emotions. And then, of course, obviously, Father Merrin played by Max von Sydow, who, let's be obvious, has never, and I repeat, never given a bad performance in anything. <laughs> but the two that I just wanted to focus on are, are Jason Miller, who does an excellent job of playing Father Karras in what was his film debut. Now, originally, Jack Nicholson was offered the role, and apparently Paul Newman was interested as well, but it was originally given to Stacey Keach. Now, it wasn't until... Blatty saw Miller in a production of his own play that championship season. The Blatty instructed Warner Brothers to buy Keach out of his contract and offer it to Miller instead. Now, this is an incredibly bold move and one that could have absolutely backfired spectacularly, but it paid off big time because Miller gives this truly captivating performance as a priest and trained psychiatrist who is conflicted about his religion, is constantly pulled by these two opposing forces of spirituality and psychology and is racked with guilt over the death of his mother. He goes toe-to-toe with a powerful demon and comes out on the other side with his faith in God restored. He coaxes the demon out of Regan, allowing himself to be possessed before making the ultimate sacrifice and committing suicide by throwing himself out a window and down a flight of stairs. Now, the character arc on display is an absolute masterclass, and he gave a stunning performance. And then I just want to touch upon Regan, played by Linda Blair, in what was only a second movie credit, the character starts off with this shy, polite, and sweet young girl before turning into the vomit and profanity-spewing head-twisting nightmare. The character is very well fleshed out, and it's one that the audience roots for throughout the film, but it's the performance of Blair which is really next level. She was nominated for an Oscar for Best Supporting Actress and won the exact same award at the Golden Globes. The physical and emotional transformation that she displays from Regan to Pizzazzo is absolutely incredible and she has rightly been heralded as one of the greatest screen uh, horror performances i was going to say female performances but i think of just general performances in a horror film of all time okay thank you very much anyone got anything to add to performances there particularly from the prosecution side i mean the performances are good (laughs) i should you know i should say but I think the th- the point I'd make against it is it's like, you know, Gav saying about Max von Sydow from Father Merrin. Merrin dies off screen in a very anticlimactic way. You know, he's walking around a rack for like 20 minutes at the beginning and then he comes, starts an exorcism and then instantly dies off screen. Well, not instantly, but, you know, I don't, you know, you're not even quite sure how it's happened. So, you know, there's a couple of weird choices and, and you know, Father Karras played by, sorry, Miller. I can't remember his first Jason name. Jason Miller. Jason Miller. I mean, it was his film debut, but it was also his film End You, I think, wasn't it? It was never the option. I mean, I don't remember seeing him in literally anything else apart from that. Apart from maybe, I think, he's, is he in another Exorcist film at some point? Yes. In the Exorcist. Well, I don't feel... So, yes, there are, you know, there are good performances. I wouldn't, you know, and I'd say, you know, and I'd make concessions to a lot of what the, what the defence has said. But because of the odd choices, because of the tangents the film makes, sometimes those performances and those characters get a little dull like like i say dave i'll come back to lee j cobb lovely to see lee j cobb but why and and you know that's the uh that's the problem with the exorcist okay thank you anyone got anything else to add no great i will i will have a look through my notes and i believe it's a quiz who's uh who's up next 
Okay, it's me. I'm doing a quiz. And because, uh, well, as evidenced before, nobody is really too well. I mean, I mean, there are probably a lot of people, but a lot of people don't really know the real name of the demon in The Exorcist. And I think that's common in quite a lot of films featuring demons, to be honest. People will tend to forget the name of the demon. Maybe they might remember the name of the person or thing that the demon conjures up. So this quiz is all about demons in movies. I'm going to start easy and then it's going to get harder as it goes on. So what I've done here is I'm going to name the demon and then I've got a little description of the demon as well. So hopefully that'll help you over the finish line. Does that all sound good? Yep. Yeah. Right. So fingers on the buzzers. First few, well, the first two, I should say, are very, very easy. So fastest finger first, okay? And I want there to be a buzz sound, Austin. Right. Starting with number one, Pennywise. Uh, Joel. I, feel, I almost feel bad taking this one. So we have it. <laughs> it is it. A creature of untold age, but commonly manifests as a dancing clown or your worst fears. Number two, and everybody should know this one because we did all watch it recently. Pinhead. Um, Dave. That's Hellraiser. It is an extra dimensional being who inflicts pleasure and pain on his victims and also has a load of pins in his head. Now, number three, but we're getting a little bit more difficult now. Malthus. Malthus. I'll give you the description. Big, old, angry-looking thing who likes to hide in a children's doll, which is almost uh, as creepy Annabelle. as he is. Well done, Joel. It is Annabelle and the Conjuring films. Okay, so next up, the Reverend Henry Kane. I nearly said the Reverend Harry Kane then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dave. That is Poltergeist 2. It is Poltergeist. Well, it's, Poltergeist, it's all of them. It's Poltergeist 1, 2, and 3, but we find out his real name in Poltergeist 2. Right. So, so, yeah, well done there, Joel. Okay, now moving on. <laughs> I know, yeah, great memory, Dave. Um, <laughs> now, now we're moving on to the next one, number five. This is an easy one. Zool. Uh, oh, I know. Ghostbusters. Well done, Joel. <laughs> yes, Ghostbusters, oh, also known oh, as the Gatekeeper. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he buzzed. He buzzed. He buzzed. Uh, number six, Valak. Uh, the Conjuring and the Nun. Yes, well done, Joel. Yeah, The Conjuring well too. A big horrible fucker who likes to manifest as a demonic nun. Well done, Joel. Storming ahead so far. Number seven, Balthazar. No, okay. It manifests as a coin-flipping, suit-wearing man, but is really a green-skinned, sulfur-smelling half-breed demon. Who... How was that? Uh, the one from... Um... Insidious. No, who kills a priest by persuading him to drink copious amounts of alcohol. <laughs> Constantine. Alex. Well done, Constantine, yes. Now, number eight, Asmodeus, a.k.a. Toby. Toby the demon. <laughs> a, a powerful demon who likes to piss about in people's houses while they aren't looking, opening doors, knocking pans off the walls, etc., etc. Joel. Is it um, Paranormal Activity? It is Paranormal Activity. Well done. Well done. Toby. I've only got it from Toby the description, demon. though. At number nine, Paimon. Paimon. Paimon? Paimon. Pa Paimon. <laughs> Simon the Paimon. 
It's a powerful demon whose worshippers want him to manifest so that he can make them wealthy and knowledgeable. Uh-huh. Alex? Uh, is it... Uh, oh, no, I've forgotten the name. Hereditary. It is hereditary. Well done. He hides in little girls, then their partying brothers, and then their stressed out mums. So, yeah. Well done, Alex. <laughs> Okay. Zero comment. <laughs> <laughs> Number 10, Bogul. Bogul. Uh, I'll give you the description. Suit wearing, gothic, knoll fielding uh-huh. looking fella. Joel. Uh, slender man. No. Who possesses little kids and, spoiler alert, makes them kill their families. Um, Dave? Sinister. It is sinister. Well done. Well done. And finally, number 11, the Lamia. Or the Lamia. I can't remember. Basically, a child-eating monster which is inflicted on you as part of a curse. It torments its victims for three days before... Oh, is it the ring? No. Oh, bump. Dave? Drag me to hell. Before it drags them to hell. Yes, well done, Dave. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, very, very close uh, scores on all the doors apart from Ozzy's door. But uh, <laughs> I would have got Ghostbusters if people had actually buzzed. <laughs> <laughs> so that is one, two, uh, three, four to Dave. One, two, three, four, five to Joel. Well done, Joel. You won that one. Hooray. <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah thank you very much gav that was great uh it's given me a chance to compile my notes as well and give some thought to the exorcist so i wanted to leave my own thoughts at the door but my own thoughts on exorcism films i think i've covered before when we've done i think was it uh taking of deborah logan i don't care for exorcism films not one bit i think once you've seen one You've pretty much seen them all. I mean, I've seen a couple and they all just blur together to form one film in my mind. But I will give this film credit for possibly starting that trend that I don't like. And this seems to be the original. You know, the if we talk about the OG, this seems to be the f- first film to really bring exorcism films into the forefront of mainstream horror. Um, I, although I do blame it for the for the trend that's proceed, um, succeeded it. Um, speaking of what precedes it, it's reputation. We all know The Exorcist is a well-regarded film and it sounds like yeah there's a few reasons as to why we've got some solid performances we've got a good score got reasonable special effects from the sounds of it maybe maybe a bit ropey now but reasonable uh there seems to be a dispute over the pacing um and also there's the shock which you know when people talk about the exorcist they talk about the shock that they experienced upon first seeing it in 1973 shocking at the time i can believe not so much now i can also believe i can get on board with that and it's perhaps too visceral for its time which is possibly why it was uh it was so shocking but it's nothing we haven't seen before now you know maybe there's some aspects yeah which you don't often see in horror films but the viscera yeah i mean it, it, it's all over the place now but then you've got to bear in mind the context of this film is 50 years old you know 50 years ago this film came out and you, you got to bear in mind that this was groundbreaking i suppose for its time so and some of these cheap tricks which joel referred to and they do sound like cheap tricks may have been original some of them for the time, you know, this film may have uh, brought them to the forefront of people's uh, consciousness when it comes to, to horror films. So I've got to give it some credit for that. Um, overall, it sounds like a solid film and a solid exorcism film at that. But what really clinched the matter for me is this talk of 
the character's behavior, the fact that the original assumption is not, oh, it's possession. She goes to doctors, you go to other people, you have skeptics, you have people that are rational, that whose first thoughts is not a religious or supernatural cause. You've got this crisis of faith going on. There's even a priest that says, oh, the exorcisms are archaic. You know, you watch modern day exorcism films like uh, Emily Rose or, or Deborah Logan, and it's just like, you feel like exorcism, there's one going on down the road in, in some states of the United States. Exorcisms <laughs> are everywhere. And this guy points out, exorcisms are archaic. We don't do this anymore this is ridiculous and that's a priest saying that this crisis a faith element to him the nature of the characters the development of the characters even if you leave the performances to one side this seems better written than the average exorcism film and when you think this pioneered it all and started it all i've got to give it due credit and for those reasons i'm putting it on the hit list thank you very much Dave. incredibly no well sound effects anymore <laughs> did we get rid of the sound effect no i i put them in afterwards uh, oh okay <laughs> <laughs> it's been a while since I've really paid attention to the uh Maybe don't admit that. You know, yeah. you're one of Just those off after the quiz, yeah. Of all the people living at the lamenting. moment, you're one of the ones who should be the most invested in this. <laughs> it's because I'm so, still lamenting how unfair the quiz was. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Right, okay, so genuine opinions, starting with Ozzy. First time that you'd ever seen this film, defending it, what did you think? I can completely see why why it's it's revered. However, I don't think horror movies are for me. I, I just didn't, I didn't get behind it. Like, I, I really wanted to. I genuinely thought it was going to be scary. I did feel creeped out at times. There were... I didn't lie with anything I said there, but there are sections to it where I just thought, okay, this is a bit of a convoluted way to introduce a character. You know, we started with the the main man all the way back in Iran and like just seemed completely superfluous. There was no need to have started with that. It had no relevance to the rest of the of the uh, of the story, except for they they once mentioned, oh, this guy had been in Iran. They don't see him do it. Exorcism, you don't see anything about him. You don't even know that he's a priest. Yeah, you know, there's literally no reference to that at the time when he's in that place. So, um, so I just thought it was a bit of a, a an odd piece, but I did like the the creepiness and the build up. Um, mm-hmm. I do think it belongs on the hit list, but um, I think this these days this is a film for horror fans, people who want to study the like the, maybe like the history of horror cinema, um, and. Weirdly, it doesn't really feel like horror's moved on that all that much, based on what we were watching at the weekend. Yeah. Well, so firstly, I take it that you're not going to come with me to watch the Midnight Christmas Horror Movie Marathon. <laughs> I of forgot that you just said that invite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and no, secondly, no, just to say, that. <laughs> the, the archaeological dig is in Iraq, not Iran, you racist. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I bet you it's Sorry. all the same to you, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, yeah, so on to me, uh, I I thought it's been 10 years since I watched this and I thought it was still just as brilliant as last time I watched it. I absolutely love this film. I'd watch it again tomorrow if I could and I probably will. And I I can't summarize it better than this, this, this review I've got here. Through technical virtuosity at every artistic level, including the brilliant acting debut of playwright Jason Miller, as the doubt-filled priest who assists von Sydow in the exorcism. The Exorcist becomes more than a shocking movie. It becomes a film with a strong, positive force. And do you know who said that review, Dave? 
I can guess. <laughs> it was Gene Siskel. Siskel, <laughs> <laughs> Also, you make Roger but gave it four out of four. Anyway, well, moving, on. <laughs> moving on. Moving uh, on. Joel, so you're somebody who has seen it before, but obviously not for a long time. What did you think? As the prosecution, were you being true? Um, in some of it, I was, yeah. Like, I, I do think that, it's got it's kind of like almost an untouchable status i think in that like it, it's almost like the godfather of, of horror films um and when i think of how old it is it is mind-blowing like how good it is i kind of wish i could go back to that time and watch it with like fresh eyes because probably would be like you know like one of those kind of amazing moments of, of, of cinema but yeah like watching it today for me like it's Meh. Like it, it, I think Ozzy is correct when he when he says like it, it's more for horror fans. I don't think anyone's casually putting the Exorcist on and watching a child go to town with a with a crucifix. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, maybe stop picking out, out that one bit. You know, there's more to the Exorcist than crucifixism abuse. Surprisingly, but, um, yeah. yeah. Funnily enough, though, like I remember you saying in in that uh, in your defense, like how it hasn't been done again since. And th- there's probably a reason for that, to be fair. Like, but I'm not talking the... about the crucifix. <laughs> I read between the lines. I'm not talking about... I was talking more about the fact that you don't really see children as the victims of such evil entities in films. You know, like, you don't really see children as, as victims. Probably because uh, people would kick off if they made it now. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, and, and no. I mean, we did just watch Terrifier two at the weekend, and <laughs> people were still paying to go and see that at the cinema. I mean, there is a big question, isn't there? You know, it's like you get kids to take on these kind of roles, and you think, God, I mean, what must their little, what the their little souls yeah. must be thinking, having to go through all this? And then, it, thankfully for The Exorcist, you know, the claims there are a lot of documented cases, and Linda Blair herself has said how much she enjoyed her time on set and how nice it was working with William Freakin, how understanding he was, how very careful he was about safeguarding her as well throughout all this. So it's kind of like, it is kind of a, oh, thank God, yeah, it is it is safe. It's been done appropriately. There's only so much safeguarding you can do there, though. There I mean, is. She's, there she's is. mouthing some horrendous words, <laughs> and she's grabbing an actor's head and like, oh, yeah, there's... Uh, they, they did use stunt doubles. Uh, and was it that also... safe as well? Is this not the film, like I remember hearing, is this not the film where like nine people died on set and the director not was nine. using guns to scare people and set no. fire to shit? <laughs> <laughs> it's not the film. I think you're thinking of, I want to say Aguirre Wrath of God at this point. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it sounds I like you're thinking of the, yeah, the Saint Valentine's Day Massacre. To be honest, does he? <laughs> no, it, yeah, the, the, it is a like documented cursed film. And if you want to find out more about that, I suggest watching cursed films on Shudder, where they do an episode about the Exorcist. It's really, really interesting, to be honest. But yeah, like there were a, a supposed number of things that happened around the film, like the lot nearly burning down and somebody dying, et cetera, et cetera. And Jason and, Miller died quite young, didn't he? He was only yes. 60 odd when he died, yeah. Yeah, and um, yeah, so it's you know, there are a lot of things that surrounded this and that I think added to the film as well. You know, it's become such a big thing now and people talk about it as being a case film. So yeah, anyway, like I, I digress. Alex, you'd never seen the film before. You're acting as prosecution were you being true to what you were saying no not really no i like the film i didn't expect to uh, i'm a bit with aussie horror is not really my thing 
But uh, because horror is not a thing, I actually enjoyed those, you know, those tangents bit I was talking about with like Lee J. Cobb. I enjoyed those bits quite a lot, actually. Oh, um, you nearly sold Lee J. Yeah, Cobb. Sorry, the river. Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> I, I actually thought the direction was really interesting. I thought it was really, really interesting, especially that scene in Iraq. Again, I, I just thought that was fantastic. And a, a really unusual way of doing things. I, I, do, I do think there's probably problems in it. I do think it's... I thought Karras was 100% an exorcist until halfway through the film and he says he's not. And it's like, oh, right, well, who is? So I, I thought, you know, it's not it's not flawless, but I don't think it, you know, and you know what film is. So when people say it's like the best horror film ever made, I see what they mean. And I think I figured that pretty early on. So I was a bit like, ah, what, what are we going to talk about? So, um, yeah, <laughs> I, I think you've 100% put it on the right list. Good, good. I was wondering what you actually thought about it. Because remember we were talking about Merrin and his sudden death and we don't know why he died. It's like, oh, a minute ago you were talking about him wandering around Iraq and like struggling to breathe and feeling tired and then he just dies. It's like, I'm no doctor, but I'm thinking heart condition. <laughs> I know, the, the, the demon's like, it's just, I, he was just, honestly like not this. Me. Not, not me, not me. I've done a lot, I've done a lot of stuff, but he just passed out, right? It's not me. Just see, you see Jason Miller go back into the room and is like, this looks yeah. bad. It's, <laughs> those stairs man he kept going up and down those stairs he's an old man <laughs> yeah it, 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 it does feel a little bit like you know like a highly anticipating boxing match that ends like halfway through the first round through natural causes yeah well you know to be honest Alex very well prosecuted because you, you wouldn't tell that you liked it as much yeah and, very true I think that's that's one of the things that I like so much about it as well is is the direction and the way that the director and the writer work together. The the studio Warner Brothers were really pushing hard for Roman Polanski to be the director because they wanted it to be out and out horror. But it was William Peter Blatty that was saying, "No, I you know really like William Friedkin. I really like that." Every time French... you say William Friedkin, I, I just say freaking Deacon in my head. I just can't <laughs> help it. But you know, he was a big fan of the French Connection and films that he'd made beforehand, and he wanted to bring the a clothing bit of that. brand it, and the clothing brand as well. Yeah, I'm going to move on. Okay, so is it higher or lower than our previous film? <laughs> Let's not do this. Yeah, no. <laughs> it, the answer is obviously higher. Uh, it is. Well, let, let's, how high do you think it is? This is an, another one. How high do you think it is? Are we talking IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes? Rotten Tomatoes. Dropping down. Uh, nine, eight, eight, high eighties uh, into its nineties. High 80s audience, maybe early 90s critical. So I thought it'd be much, much higher, to be honest. 84% critical and 87% audience. Huh? Yeah. But look, looking at it on Rotten Tomatoes, I can see a lot of that is from 2000 up. And that takes into account the re-releases as well. So there's been another a number of re-releases which have included like extra additional mm -hmm. footage and whatnot. And so then better versions, essentially. <laughs> but actually, yeah, because uh, they, they used seven minutes of footage that they wanted, both the crucifix writer footage. and director. It was seven <laughs> extra minutes of crucifix footage, yes. Yes. I'm forgetting, like, John... We're going to have to cut so much of this out. <laughs> I feel like you're just like a, a misbehaving classroom now. I'm going to move on. <laughs> right. I feel like it's getting to the point where he won't cut it and then we're all going to play it right now. <laughs> 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 okay so that is it that is the end of the halloween horror month so next well, i say next week in two weeks time we're going to be moving on to our new season and it's going to be a christmas season uh add some sound effects here of some sleigh bells maybe who knows 
And we're going to kick things off with a sort of Christmas adjacent film, or at least I hope it is anyway, otherwise it's going to look really out of place in our season. And that is the sequel to Disney's Enchanted, Disenchanted. And that will be coming directly into your ears on the 5th of December. So thank you very much for all your arguments guys really well argued and thanks dave for judging thank you to everyone who's listened to this episode <laughs> we really appreciate you <laughs> taking the time out to listen to our stuff if you want to check out any previous content go to filmsontrial.co.uk check us out on any podcasting platform and all the social medias at film trials on twitter and films on trial on everything else so what have we learned today? Well, we've learned that a vomit-spewing, levitating demon isn't as scary as working in a school. <laughs> and also that The Exorcist is a hit. And we're going to be in your ears in two weeks' time with Disenchanted. Goodbye. That sounded more like a question then, didn't it? Good Goodbye. <laughs> or is it? I, I, I put on Predator Fisherboard a while back. And she lasted about like 11 minutes. And I was like pretending to be angry, but I was also pretty angry. <laughs> so, like, also like oh, 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 what you like, but really, what you like. Oh, no. <laughs>